I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank all of you joining me on WPFW 89.3 FM on your dial, Jazz and Justice Radio, for this program. Um, we got a couple of shows left of this of the year, so we are trying to uh, you know stir the pot a little bit and hopefully uh, take advantage of some of the the charity, I guess, that comes along with this. Uh, well, that's supposed to come along with this season of giving. And we're hoping that folks will uh, will contribute to this listener-supported radio station. You can make a donation to WPFW by calling 202-588-9739 or going online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. Um, look, you can make a one-time donation. You can become a sustaining member uh, by submitting your credit card or checking account information and just make a 5 or $10 donation per month. That uh, goes a long way with us being able to budget and, uh, and, and carry the, this, uh, this listener-supported radio station. And, of course, if you do it while you're listening to this show or if you mention us when you do make the call or go online, um, it does a lot for uh, sending a message to, to management, if you will, that, uh, that you listen to Resistance Radio, that you are glad that WPFW has carved out a spot for a unique native voice uh, that addresses, you know, common issues and perhaps issues you've never been familiar with. So, uh, again, uh, so I'm asking you to support the radio station. And, again, once again, it's, uh, it's WPFW, Jazz and Justice Radio, 89.3 on the FM dial, and you can call their pledge line at 202-588-9739 or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. Um, again, support the station, support this program. All right, I've got an interesting program today. I'm bringing on with me today um, a relatively, I, I, she's not old, but she's an old friend, so you know what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm bringing on a friend that has been a friend of mine for, for a number of years. We have some history over at WBAI. Uh, we've done, um, she's organized a couple of events. Uh, she has attended many of the events that I was doing on pretty much a monthly basis in New York when uh, this is prior to COVID when I was going traveling to New York every single week. Um, and we plan to do more. So I want to talk about that. So my guest today is Dr. Shah K. Bay, and uh, we'll, she'll explain a little bit of what her background is. And we're going to talk about uh, the, the common ground that exists between what many people identify as black Americans, although that's, that's a, a strange identifier, I guess, uh, and indigenous people. We want to talk a little bit about the history, the connections that we have with each other, and we're going to talk about some of the, the, the tough parts of, uh, of the, the shared history. But most importantly, one of the messages that we have worked hard at, at relaying to people is we have worked together over and over and over again as some of the most oppressed people that the world has ever seen. So whether we're talking about the, the, the period of slavery that you know, predates the United States and then runs another almost 100 years, uh, or 
Jim Crow and, uh, and, and the racism that, that we are still plagued with, there's so many areas that we, that we have oftentimes assisted each other, and we're going to talk about some of that. Uh, and then oftentimes we've been played against each other. So we're going to talk some, about some of that. So uh, let me introduce my good friend, uh, Doc Shah, as I call her, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Shah K. Bay. Good evening. Great to be with you, John. Why don't you give a little bit of background? Uh, you you obviously um, have you spent a lot of time pursuing various academic um, endeavors, uh, but you've settled in on being more involved in uh, holism and holistic uh, healing. But talk a little bit about your your background. Okay. Well, I come from a a family of ministers. My grandfather, and because my dad had me at sixty. He was a doctorate of divinity, and we always believe you have to minister to people. You must assist people. That comes from my background of being, as John would say, indigenous First Nations and African, and that's how my ancestors received their freedom. They couldn't wait for the emancipation. But that idea of working with people has always stayed in my mind and also being able to be involved in businesses my come from a background again of being in business and educationally i i love science so i went to school and i thought that you know being an engineer was the thing and this is going to lead me to great things and of course i find out that i was sold a bill of goods you might be quote unquote the best and brightest but you're not going to be compensated very well in fact i realized that a car costs more than i would ever make even as a PhD level. So that led me to beginning an MBA in business and being a financial planner, all of that stuff. And along the way, I was studying different religions. I happened to be a fourth generation uh, Muslim. I was raised into the quote unquote, the faith. And you study that. So I had gotten a doctorate in divinity. I had gotten a doctorate in uh, counseling, which is more of a not a psychiatric counseling, but more of a beyond the physical and mental state, what we call the psychic self or what my papers all are about, the quantum self. So moving all along that, I and several other people create the whole idea of wellness. What does it mean to be truly well, holistically well, not just well in body, well in mind, well in your psychic self, but well, totally. And what are the things that you have to do? And in doing that, studying all these things, I found that there were different wisdom traditions, especially indigenous people, which is right here on these lands. And we're on these lands. And you really need to understand what did they do to stay well and to stay whole, especially under adversity and looking in my own background. So that was basically what we did and understanding that some people are with the program and Many are not, and that's kind of what what drew you to my work, uh, not just on on radio, but uh, as you looked at some of the stuff that that I was involved in, uh, this idea of wisdom traditions and your con connecting back to uh, the indigenous people. That's kind of what what has brought us together at this point. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you actually were a big part of. I had to scratch the earth just to get. The doctrine and divinity, which they completely leave out indigenous traditions. You have to kick and scream and stomp. They want to, you believe that 
there are no wisdom traditions. And I mean this literally. And these are some of the quote unquote top notch schools. Well, in, and, in a way, knowing how academia has treated uh, native cultures and, uh, and understandings and philosophies, they probably would have butchered it anyway. <laughs> so uh, while being left out is, is, a, is a wrong thing, Sometimes when you look at how people have characterized and, and tried to redefine us, I mean, we see this all the time when we, Native people, we, we confront these, uh, what, what people label as the new age type. And, and look, they, they, they have this real affinity towards um, really trying to analogize, not analyze, but analogize Native culture to their own preconception of what spirituality is. And... It butchers it, and and that's and that's been our experience. So, you, I wouldn't surprise me that had there been some acknowledgement of uh, native spirituality, for lack of a better expression, I guess that it wouldn't. It probably would have been incomplete, if not bogus, anyway. Yeah, that is true. However, if as we say, if you don't know something, ask somebody. Well, yeah, but the, but you know how I, you know how academia works. <laughs> Those some of these <laughs> folks believe they know everything, so they don't ask anybody anything, and they just keep you know teaching stuff that is just wrong. So I mean, but that's that is the institution. That's not your pursuit of education. So when you know for right. you to have wanted to pursue uh, certain ideas, philosophies, uh, philosophies, knowledge, uh, you obviously were, you weren't going to find it in. Uh, you know, in, in these institutions. No. And that's the whole reason why I say, if you don't know something, ask somebody and they are starting to open, you know, I don't want to be cruel, but the whole Western idea is that we know everything. We are civilization, not, we know civilization. We are civilization and civilization didn't even occur until we hit the map. Well, and, and part of the, bizarre. part of the challenge comes because even as we see, um, formerly oppressed or, or, or still oppressed people trying to take more of a stake in their own uh, education, in their own background. Oftentimes, you, you and I have talked about this idea of siloing, um, you know, what people would consider an African-American or black culture or indigenous culture, even though there's, you know, just we know that the from the peoples um, that, uh, were kidnapped from Africa, there's thousands of cultures. And from the indigenous peoples here on Turtle Island, there's thousands of cultures. So this idea of coming up with a pan-African or pan-Indian, for lack of a better word, I guess, um, idea of, of, of what, these, uh, what these cultures are, that's, that's kind of an absurd proposition. But because we get siloed even from each other, we, you and I have talked about the 1619 Project. And not to condemn what I think is, is an incredible um, analysis of, of history. Uh, and I don't want to condemn it, but I want to add to it because the problem is that 1619 is in the beginning. And for those who want to label, you know, America's original sin as uh, the enslavement of, of, of Africans, you're, you're leaving out, a, a, you know, a century or two. At the very least. But again, we know what we know. And, we have to let Nicole Hannah-Jones speak for herself, but she's saying 1619. So she's just naming a date in, in truth. She's naming a date because we act as if everything occurred in 1776 and 1777 and 1790. 
And that's just absurd because you have a history of that which comes before. It's like you can't say that you're going to drive to New York and you don't know where you're coming from. You know, you'll end up either in the ocean or in the lake or in the river and not know how you got there and not understand that if you pull out of the river and not say, okay, well, where in the world was I coming from in order to get there? Not that GPS is not magic. It's just telling you your position. That's all it is. Right. No. And, and, and that's why I am very supportive of what has, you know, in fact, not only the 1619 Project as, as it began, but as it evolves, because there has been more and more receptiveness to adding Native people into m many of the dialogue panels that they've, that they've had and that kind of stuff. So there, there's a, it's an evolving process. Uh, you know, the, the only stickler is that it's, it's still kind of tough to, to pick a date like 1619 and not do... Um, uh, a really in-depth analysis on what came before that. So, but but that's that's what we're kind of working on. One of the things that that you and I have talked about before, um, and it's it's always this. There's there's narratives that get, that get created about historical figures, whether they're native, whether they're you know the formerly enslaved. Harriet Tubman, for instance. You know, I I saw the movie. Um, it was entertaining, but. Um, uh, and and I've you know I've read some of the history that is in the basic history books, which isn't much. Uh, it's it's very generalized. But th there's always a sense, and they always suggest that somehow Harriet Tubman had some um, divine intervention throughout the course of her uh, you know her endeavors, in especially in terms of freeing uh, some of the formerly enslaved, and. And, and of course, you and I both know the re the relationship between indigenous people who knew the land and 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 runaway formerly enslaved you know, peoples is one of the reasons that the Underground Railroad had its success and folks like like Har um, Harriet Tubman had success. And you, in fact, you've always offered a different take on it. When I said, you know, they always say it was divine intervention. And you said, well, maybe perhaps it was divine intervention, but that was manifested in the assistance that she got from, from Native people. So uh, I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah, well, again, people are confused about what does divine intervention. Life is divine intervention. And then you have to take it and do something with it. You, it has to be when someone says to you there's a hole in the street and you realize there's a hole, I mean, we act as if she didn't have a brain. This just all fell out the sky onto her lap, and that's absurd. Well, and that's what we do with so many cultures. When, when I hear Native people say that our language came from the Creator or that lacrosse was the game given to us by the Creator, as if we were too ignorant to develop a language on our own. We were too ignorant to, to develop a, a sporting event um, or and, and so many other things. But we have a tendency because we, we try to backfill so many origin stories. And so whether we're talking about a creation story or an origin story of, of life or of, of the things that we know about life, we, we kind of just make stuff up. <laughs> and, and oftentimes we, by, by doing that, we discredit our own intellectual cap capabilities to, to have, to be problem solvers. I mean, when I think about medicines, for instance, and, and that this is something that, that you have some, uh, some deep understanding of holistic medicines. Look, native people learned a lot about medicine use by watching what other animals uh, create, you know, what they consumed and, and 
when they were ill. We, we did a lot of this through observation, and of course, not everything that would treat uh, a bear would treat a person, but we, we learned from those, those kinds of things. And, and of course, through years and years of, of trial and error and that kind of stuff, the, the, nobody came down and, and handed us a cookbook and said, okay, um, this, is, this is how you fix all ills. And, but this is, this is sometimes the way um, this, this gets mischaracterized, that, that all of these, these amazing accomplishments that, that peoples have had and you, well, it must have been aliens. It must have been divine intervention. It had to be some of these these other things all the time. Well, of course, because we you have to take away people's agency. Exactly. That's the most important thing. And that is, we have to understand that that is a European tradition because there were only certain people who were worthy. And that's not me talking. Read the books. The European traditions of being worthy that they, in many cases, they felt that they weren't worthy because you had to be up from God to be given the place of king, queen, uh, duke, duchess, all this stuff. They have to tell people a story that this is from God. So you will stay in your quote unquote place and you will know that this is where you are. And again, we, we just got finished saying about levels of education, not indoctrination and unfortunately we get caught in indoctrination so we also start playing this game of who is better than whom who is above whom it's not that i have a right to be just as i am where i am within myself no well i'm better than that because you know god gave me this stuff well and, and that's the, exp the expression they use is uh, having been chosen we are the chosen ones and Exactly. So when you adopt that mentality, what you're saying is that you have been chosen amongst other, you know, all of all of the rest of creation. So everything else is beneath you. And this is kind of the origin story of racism, because at some point when you kind start of? deciding, well, I mean, there, there, kind of that is. well, but I'm saying there's, there's a lot of other things. Obviously, this idea of being the chosen ones um, was not along what people had established as racial lines in the beginning. It was, it was people just, you know, trying to, you know, fold out this big lie that God chose them and that everybody had to acknowledge that. Eventually it, this whole idea of who was chosen and who wasn't chosen did start falling along the, the, the skin color lines. And that's where the man's invention of race, um, be, you know, devolves into this, this notion of, uh, of, of racism. So, and, and, and that's that's an important topic, um, and this is one of the places that that there's tensions that exist between black communities, black peoples, and indigenous peoples, whether we create that tensions or not. And part of it has to do, from a native standpoint, is there's almost an aversion, and I've talked about this on previous almost? shows. Well, let me almost. let me finish. There's almost an aversion <laughs> to call what the native experience has been racism. I mean, it, it, there's no question that, you know, what, what the black experience has been was racism. And, and you always say, well, the first black people in America were indigenous people. But, but you're, when you say that, what, you're not saying that we are, that the, that, that we're not using black as a color, but as an experience. Because the first people who were oppressed in the way that most will acknowledge was the black experience weren't black people. They were, they were, they, they were the indigenous. We were the first ones enslaved. 
We're the first ones who, to experience who the, made up these terms, black. Who who made this up? Well, I, again, we know who made it up, but I think what we're trying to do is offer some clarity in that. But that, but I think one of the things that I think is important is that we we understand that whether we can debate, and, and in fact, I think it's it's a very weak debate to suggest that race is reality, but racism clearly is. But when we try to segregate that 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 expression of racism, when we say, well, it's it's only black people had that. I mean, then we'll get people say, well, uh, Italian people experience racism and Irish people experience racism and Jewish people experience racism. But even those that will make that argument still don't want to characterize the longest running genocide in the history of the world, which is which continues today against indigenous people, that it somehow is tied to racism. I, I got a friend of mine who ironically and I I didn't give him any direct cues to this, but. Um, he was a professor over here at Canisius College in, in the Buffalo area, and he's written a couple of books. He, he wrote a, a great book on um, uh, the Thomas Indian School and residential schools, and it was called The, the Irredeemable Children, uh, the History of the, uh, of, of the, the Residential Schools. Um, but he also wrote this, his latest book, which is called We Remain, Race, Racism, and the Story of the American Indian. And, I, and so I got a hold of Keith and I said, I can't believe that you just wrote a book on the very things that I'm always trying to assert is that that our history is a history of being victimized through racism. And yet it's yet there's such a strong aversion to to address that. And so I'm, and I, Keith's going to join me probably next week on, on the program. But uh, I'm just glad that somebody from academia just took that finally took that step to say, let's call it what it is. It, it is. But it was that to begin with. We all want to pretend that, oh, well, there was no racism originally. Yes, there was. Well, no, I know it was always there, but I'm saying there's finally someone in ac academia who's, who's, who's forged ahead and put this thing to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to print. And, and I'm not saying that other people in academia, when confronted with this, won't acknowledge it, but there's just still a tendency to, I mean, and here's the thing, and this is, this is my characterization or my reasoning that, why native people are are left out of conversations about racism. And I do believe that it's that it's part of the American story to suggest that it just had to happen. Native people were destined, in fact they call it that, right? Manifest destiny. Native people had to go. It it was just a it was just a natural order of things that that native people would have to be decimated. They would have to have genocide committed again. So they they may it sound like it that it just it was a natural order of things to happen, and and that's still so. I mean, I've listened to Barack Obama praise oh, praise, the, praise the the Homestead Act as this this great piece of legislation that that enabled America to to build and build and build, but and not acknowledge for a second that the Homestead Act was was literally legalizing theft in uh, as if there wasn't already theft that was committed, but it was this wholesale theft of, of all of the land west of the Mississippi. I mean, and so when I hear this kind of stuff and I realize that that so many people buy into this nonsense that that Native people weren't the victims of racism. They're just they're just the victims of progress. Of course. Well, again, <laughs> who wants to be called a thief? Who wants to be called a liar? And who wants to be called a cheat? So what you do is you have to and this goes back to the whole academic exercise. You have to put things in terms to make yourself feel better, 
we don't really get much into the way of truth. You have to just change things so that the lens that we see life through is more in keeping with elevating my perfect self and demoting your imperfect self. So all the things that happen to you, well, I mean, we said for a hundred years at least that slavery was necessary. It was in all the books. If you go back, you can see one way or another, slavery was necessary. See, it was just, it just, it had to happen. And you know what? We didn't do it. You did it to yourselves. Well, there are still, there are still, there are still politicians today that want to describe slavery as a jobs program. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's just absurd. It, it really I mean, is. what did Tommy Tuberville just say? I yeah. mean, we just got, he, we should thank him, the whole <laughs> world. And, and if he's saying that those of African descent should thank him, and he doesn't even have the wit to understand that not all Africans here were ever enslaved. Not all, most certainly, but not all come from enslaved background. So if you say that of those who were enslaved, what are you going to say about First Nations people, the ones who were here first? Oh, well, they weren't really nations. They weren't really people. They were just a couple of folks, you know, running around the neighborhood. And then we moved in because there was nobody there. Well, the they, land I mean, they suggest that we were like the animals. We were like the flora and the fauna. And, of course, you know, look, there's an expression that I that is becoming more used today, uh, and it's it's a it's a bit of a um, like an acronym. They they call it ADOS. Uh, Americans, uh, American descendants of slaves, or uh, American descendants of slavery. Slavery. And the yes. problem with that, and and I don't have a problem with that expression even. The but the problem that I see in its usage. Well, is, I have a problem with it, but let's well, go I mean, on. no, there. Are, I mean. Whether somebody wants to be called American or not, but Americans descendants of slavery. The the biggest issue I have is that it doesn't acknowledge that native people were enslaved. So it, in fact, some people were trying to suggest that it was African descendants of uh, slaves, but not all. It wasn't all Africans either. And so one of the things that that I've talked about many times, and you and I have discussed it, is is that interchange and and that 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 the chattel slavery that was um, instituted in the United States involved the importation of kidnapped African males that would oftentimes be uh, subjected to not just slavery, but they wouldn't have families, but they would be um, penned up. They would be, you know, caged. Let's call it what it was. They were called breeders. They were caged with, with Native women. So and the women were treated as if like as if they were brood mares and and the men were treated as if they were they were you know just for stud and and in fact Thomas Jefferson actually bragged about the value of a, of a woman uh, of a a childbearing woman uh, a childbearing enslaved woman and how valuable that was because he knew the value of that represented in 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 this chattel slavery industry because again what are we what are we all big on? We're in big on product. What's your product? Not just cotton, not just tobacco. Your product is more enslaved people because all along we want to pretend that, oh, well, they saw this land and and they weren't amazed. Yes, they were amazed. They'd never seen anything like this. And the more they traveled and then they would come back and back and forth and talk to each other. It's like I drove for days. Like we say this here. I drove for days and nothing happened. 
where you really can't see that unless you've been to Europe and you realize how small Europe is compared to these lands. So at all times, they knew, at all times, it was all about the avarice. It was all about taking what already belonged to someone else, and it was clear it belonged to someone else, and saying, it's mine. You know, what did your friend say about, you know, I discovered somebody else's car, so I took it. Yeah. Well, and, and the interesting thing is, in the first half century uh, of, the, of the 19th century, the first uh, half century of the 1800s, uh, the number one asset, industrial asset, uh, was considered the enslaved. I mean, they didn't, they didn't even list land in, in, in those terms, but they, it wasn't machinery. It wasn't livestock. Well, it was livestock, but it, but it was human livestock. The, so through, through that first half century of, of the 1800s, the number one asset of industry, mind you, was, were, were enslaved people. And that's but that was the industry. Well, I mean, and again, because the land could only have value if they could make people work it. And, and that's, yes. that's one of the reasons they were able to characterize native people as being wasteful, because we had all this land that we didn't that we didn't put to use the way, you know, the way the Europeans thought it should be put to use. So, well, so it's not even that. the Europeans thought, but you did nothing with the land, and I say that in square qu- scare quotes, that's what we are actually taught in school. Right. And I went to some of the so-called best schools, best districts. That's what you were taught, and when you go against that, it's like, you know, something is wrong with you. No, they did nothing with them. They weren't civilized enough to do anything with the lands. We came here, and we did something, which is absurd. Well, and, and of course, the reality is uh, Native people had... Um, actually in many ways higher productivity from their agriculture uh, prior to European contact than Europeans had, you know, in, in their lands. So there, I mean, so a lot of that stuff just doesn't hold any water, but, it doesn't. but that, but that's but the, the way the numbers, the numbers the of people that lived here tell the whole tale right. and the numbers of people that lived in Europe tell another tale. You just line up the numbers. They, people talk about science. Let's be scientific, line up the numbers. Somebody must have been doing something very right to feed all those people that were actually here. Right. Well, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit because I, you know, I as much as I think we need to talk about the common ground that we have had, um, and and we're going to bring it up to, to to present. But let me let me take it just a brief break. I want to remind people that you are listening to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane with my guest, Doctor Shaw Bay. Um, and you are listening to us on Jazz and Justice Radio, WPFW, 89.3 on the FM dial or online. This show is also put up as a podcast. You can find it by asking your smart speaker or searching for Resistance Radio with John Kane. Uh, we, we, we are on the air. And so by being on the, on the radio, we are broadcasting. And, of course, we also do, as Michael G. Haskins from WBI always talks about, we do narrowcast through podcasts and online feeds. But, uh, but, but broadcasting co- costs money, so we do ask that you support WPFW by going to its pledge line, which is 202-588-9739, or going online to wpfwdc.org slash donate and make a contribution to this fine station, uh, a station that, is, that has been generous enough to give my uh, voice space on their, uh, on their broadcast grid. So I greatly appreciate it, and I hope that you will 
show your appreciation by making a contribution to WPFW. Um, you know, we talked a little bit, uh, Shaw, about um, uh, the role that Native people played in, in essentially building what what would become to be known as the Underground Railroad and, and, and offering its, uh, so much assistance. But there was also, you know, this, this you created uh, not, it didn't just create a relationship, it, it created distinct peoples that would, uh, that, would uh, that, that would be black and native, uh, for lack of a better word. And, um, and, and so we became one for many, for many, many years. In fact, some of the, the states in the South, and, and you live in, you're currently living in, in North Carolina, North Carolina was among them, uh, they actually had state laws that would not allow people to identify as Native. You could not list American Indian or Indian or any of that other, those other words on any kind of, any, any kind of document, any kind of state document. And, and if you were participating in a census, you, you were either black or you were white. It, it, and if you had any uh, excessive melanin in your in your system, then you were going to be listed as black. And so we became we became one people, uh, both in terms of the relationships that we built and the and the policies that that states uh, that states had. But in the process, even going through the the abolition era, we we know the the work and and the words of some of the more famous uh, folks like like Frederick Douglass, who obviously has, uh, you know, the, he he takes up a a real solid space in the the discussion about abolition and just the the, the advancement of of a native or, or or I should say a black speaker and a black activist that could, that could have such a powerful voice and a powerful place in the abolition of slavery. The problem that 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 I have with some of what is not taught about Frederick Douglass was what he was after was the American dream. It, it wasn't just freedom in the for you know as as we may uh, frame it today. He wanted what white people had, and among what white people had was native lands. I mean, Frederick Douglass was a proponent of manifest destiny. He. Like the idea of being uh, being able to grab up native lands out out west as the, as the expansion would continue, and this kind of created some some really difficult speeches that aren't well known. But he has, you know, he's been on record of saying some pretty terrible things as it relates to native people. And I don't know what your what your thoughts about Frederick Douglass overall, or, or 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 can we parse it out? I mean, can can we treat it? You know. Can we treat him almost as two people, or do we have to, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Firstly, let me just remind people what Martin Luther King said towards the end of his life. I don't know if I'm not leading my people, I'm paraphrasing to some degree, mm -hmm. into a burning building. Now, some people say, well, he, he just wasn't sure about capitalism itself and all of that. But no, he was asking some really much, much more profound questions. He was talking, about American, Douglas, he was talking about American society, not just capitalism. He was saying, right. be, he, careful, what you, be careful what you want to be a part of. Right, all of America. Yeah. Soup to nuts, yeah. everything. Now, Frederick Douglass, yes, he was a big anti-enslaver for what he knew was enslavement. He was still a man of his time, of 
what he read. And I'm sure because you can you can catch it in many of the things he says about enslavement. And he doesn't say slave, doesn't say enslavement. He says slave. As if you became not became a slave, you just were a slave. So you get a lot of clues about what he thinks is real and what he thinks is not real. Just from the things he said, you just got finished referencing uh, Barack Obama. Now, I don't want to be cruel, but Barack, your name is Barack. Your last name's Obama. Okay, let's start there. However, he is still bought into the whole idea, lock, stock, and barrel, of exceptionalism. And what's exceptional? Whose society really is this? Well, yes, and, and, we, and this idea of American exceptionalism is essentially the modern-day euphemism for white supremacy. Well, of course, but he doesn't even recognize that. And I don't think Frederick Douglass, when I've read extensively about his work and his his background and where he went to, where he came from, and we always joke about this among, we call it the people, and I don't use words black and the sun people. We always joke about this, those who are in the realm of wellness, is that, you know, we're carrying a lot of baggage and we got a lot of damage. And until we address that damage, it's going to be very hard for us to speak on any topic because the damage will seep through. And before we know it, we're reading into whatever we want to speak of with a damaged hand. In other words, you, you're trying to run uh, a foot race and your foot is hobbled and you can't really run, but you can move. But you got a whole different view of exactly what's happening and the mechanics of how a body runs. I know this may seem strange to people, but a brain can only function according to what you put in there. So he comes out of enslavement, you know, by his own work, by his own hand, and he says, well, what do I really see? And all of us have to say that. What do we really see? What am I really involved in? Can he really understand it? The same with the Cherokee. What do I see? Who is a greater power source right here, right now? And again, most of us are living under a zero-sum game. That's one thing about all indigenous people all around the world. If you look at the wisdom traditions, all of them, look at them carefully, not what's read into them, but just look at the, the paradigm of each one. You know, I got It's I gotta, not zero-sum. Well, and, you know, I always heard that expression, and, and I never quite understood what that meant. And when I... When I broke it all down, what I, what I, what I come to understand is that, that you don't rise up by, by your own achievement. Sometimes you rise up by, by knocking down the people around you. And that's, that's essentially what lies at the core of that expression. And I don't, I, people use it all the time, but I'm not sure if people fully understand that, what this notion of zero-sum gain is. Yeah, you, can't, you can't rise. If I want to rise, I got to make sure you don't rise. Right. Otherwise, you're not, I'm not, really, I, you're not counting... You're not. This isn't the the tide lifts all ships. This is no. I want my ship lifted. So yeah. Right. Well, there isn't a tide. See, that's that's the whole idea. There really isn't a tide. There's just not enough. And and I'm not trying to be cruel, but coming out of Europe, most of those people did not see the world in the same way. There is no way they could have matched what was already here, where you could walk for years almost and never get to the end. Right. Right. Well, and, and that's not and, the truth in Europe. And the, the, and the thing I have to say about Frederick Doug, Douglass is, look, he he accomplished an, a tremendous feat in terms of how he 
you know, his his pursuit of education and uh, an ability to write and speak, and he was rewarded. There were there were people, especially I mean, I, I know when he spoke about uh, Independence Day. What is the Fourth of July to the slave? I mean, he's propped up by a bunch of by a, a bunch of women in Rochester. I mean, he he had adoring fans amongst the white population, especially in these uh, the, the the folks who were who were you know staunchly against slavery, and some and some of these women were also you know I don't want to say just women, but the women's suffrage movement was was essentially you know gaining some traction during some of this time, um, but so he he was propped up for for how. Much, I mean, it's like it's it's that proverbial. Oh, he's so articulate, you know. Yeah, it's it's like course. that's that's the that's the way of saying for a black person, you know. And and so that's, but he, I think he basked in some of that praise, and uh, you know, and well, he's human, and, and, he, and again, he he's does. human, you know. And we see it in Barack Obama. We see it in a lot of people. We see it in a lot of celebrities and that kind of stuff. And and he was, he was, he was a celebrity by the likes of which. This country had not seen. Absolutely had not seen. Had not seen. No. Now, you and you have to realize that that's in context with, if someone tells you you're so fabulous every day, as they say, you start believing a poop doesn't stink. You yeah. really do. Well, and, and you mentioned Cherokee. So I, and, and one of the things that, that I, I'd be remiss also if I didn't mention the fact that, when it wasn't just the Cherokee, but the Cherokee looked around them too, and they likened themselves to the success of, of white men. And they modeled themselves after that. And part of the reason that the Cherokee were driven out of Georgia and, and, and so much of the East was because they were making white people jealous. But, but these Cherokee were also taking on, uh, on enslaved people. They were, they were buying and participating in the chattel slavery industry. And, and remember, a lot of the Cherokee also were not. Well, yeah, and not. I'm not. Yeah, this wasn't a national. This wasn't a national policy of the Cherokee Nation. It's not. It's not that rigid. But, but the crazy part is that that the some of those Cherokee, though, some of those very assimilated Cherokee, who were buying and selling pe human beings, they were doing it at a time when Native people were still being enslaved. So it it, it it's crazy there. But I always when I get hit with that, uh, and because you know we we we, we kind of get into this debate sometimes. Well. Native people were taking on slaves. Well, Frederick Douglass did this, or and 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 I'm not trying to to do this banter back and forth, but I I do think it's necessary to have this conversation. The other the other thing that comes to mind, and you know because of the fame that that the legendary Bob Marley gave in his song Buffalo Soldiers, a completely misunderstood song, is that that people don't understand. And and look, I I've seen who's the guy who um oh he used to be the uh, uh, Secretary of, of Defense, um, Colin Powell. Colin Powell, oh, he was the one who really wanted, he, he pushed real hard in, in his life to, to build these monuments to Buffalo soldiers and somehow missed in this conversation it was this was a, a way to manipulate the form, these formerly enslaved black men who showed some physical attributes by enlisting them in, in the, the quote-unquote Indian Wars. And, you know, and this is what... I. I Give me your take on on Bob Marley's song because I think there's something really missed in the interpretation of uh, of Buffalo Soldiers. Well, first of all, not to be cruel, but when someone tells you they're fighting on arrival, fighting for survival, there's not much a human won't do if they feel they have to survive, and that includes, you know, we'll kill our own parents if it's necessary. 
for us to survive. There is just not many bridges a human won't cross as we need to survive. So there was no NAACP to say, hey, this is not right what you're doing to these young men because you have a need for something. What other jobs were they going to have? Let's get serious. Especially uh, um, with the reward that came with with uh, with enlisting into the service. But I mean, again, you're right. So so Marley says fighting for you know on arrival, fighting for survival. But I think what gets missed is when he says fighting for America. I don't think that that those who hear that song are understanding the sarcasm by well, pitting, not, pitting that fighting for survival and fighting for America. Because they right, weren't but he's fighting talking for... of that in the context of what he always says, Rasta don't work for no CIA. <laughs> right, right. You know, so you can't, you know, take one little word in a song and think you're understanding what he's talking about. You know, Rasta don't work for no CIA. That's, that's really important to understand. It's um, context. It's all about he, context, yes. Context and dreadlock Rasta. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of people don't even understand when they say dread. Oh, you have nice dreads. It's like, no, understand something. Locks are ancient. The idea of dreadlock is for the oppressor man. See, I come his heart through upon CI with dread, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what it's coming from. So he's saying, you know, you're fighting for America. You're not fighting for yourself. He's raising that issue. You know, you're not fighting for you. You're fighting for this quote unquote country. For all and this purposes, country has done nothing for you. Still enslaved. Exactly. Yeah. And you're not. And it's not. It's not for you because after you open up the West, could you move there? <laughs> no. 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 In, in fact, that, that very that very Homestead Act that that Barack Obama boasted about, and 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 other presidents have too. So I'm not just picking on him. They. Yeah. But to have the the first quote unquote black man as the president of the United States boasting of the Homestead Act, very, very, very few black people were ever able to uh, to grab up any land through the Homestead Act. Uh, I mean, and, we're looking right now at so-called black farmers. Well, there you go. <laughs> it was all taken away from you. But again, you're pushing forward, and not meaning you, but these people are pushing forward an idea of what is. And, you know, it's, it's hard to look at your background and, and wake up and say, you know, that's kind of ugly. When I look at my own background, it's not, oh, my, I, I, you, I have First Nations ancestry on both sides of the family. You know, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. Well, one of those First Nations ancestors I know for a fact was raped. And that's where the Scandinavian gets into the family. Well, and, and, she was, and I, she was you know, anytime I hear somebody say, well, my great grandmother was a Cherokee princess, and, you know, there's a part of me that immediately envisions. You know this native woman being being raped by a white by a white man. Because oh, she that's... wasn't a woman. I gu- guarantee you, she wasn't a woman. Well, ger- we're talking about girl, a teenager, girl, yeah, a girl. Yeah. That's right, a girl. Well, With my we, own ancestor was a girl. We see that documented in you know in Columbus's journals. I mean, uh, and and I've talked about that on the, my, like my YouTube video on Columbus. I mean, it, it it's just it, it's just you know. It, it's amazing. But we don't want because... to talk about that. You're being difficult, John. Don't talk about that. We, we've we've gone beyond that now. Okay, we've gone beyond that. Get it over it. Get over anymore. it. Right? Get over exactly. It. Yeah. Get over it. Doesn't count anymore. 
These were all good ideas. Always remember 9-11, but get over everything else, right? That's right. (laughs) Well, I mean, but, and the reason I wanted to mention Buffalo Soldiers and Frederick Douglass, because I don't want, I I don't want those two um, characters or characterizations, I guess, to, to shape what, what otherwise has been an incredible bonding between native people and the formerly enslaved, including formerly enslaved native people, because, uh, you know, we're not just talking about the underground railroad. We're talking about how we lived, how we taught each other and assisted each other in, in living off the lands and that kind of stuff. But if I bring it fast forward, I've always got to mention that in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and so many others with the black lives matter movement, we weren't we weren't listed in 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 the in that narrative, but we were beneficiaries of it, and that's why I never I never felt like I had to say, well, Black Lives Matter, Native Lives Matter too. I I, I never felt like I had to say that, and I and I felt like what was built in to this idea of Black Lives Matter was to say that the way white lives have been valued, no other lives have mattered, and so that's. So, so it was a given, but, but when I talk about being beneficiaries of black lives matter, the most obvious and apparent thing is knowing that Columbus statues were being ripped down at the same time, Confederate statues were being ripped down. And, and of course I'm talking about the ones that were ripped down by, by, by mobs, but also the fact that, that city councils willingly removed Confederate statues and Columbus statues, the, the impact of Social justice being demanded in the wake of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor, it didn't just stop with, it wasn't just about police. It became broader than that. And, and, and again, this show is broadcasting in, in the nation's capital. Uh, and the fact is that in that nation's capital, one of the largest sports franchises in the, in the uh, or, or sports, sports in general, professional sports, is NFL football. And the NFL franchise in Washington has borne a racial slur since its beginning. And we pushed, we fought against that word for 50 years. And it wasn't till Black Lives Matter, this call to social justice, where it started impacting financial interests like FedEx, who was the sponsor of their, of their football stadium, like Target and Walmart and Amazon, which were big figures in, in the merchandising of Washington football apparel and, and merchandise. So until we come together as people, whether it was really well articulated or not, it, the, the beneficiaries, the, the benefits were clear. And, and, I, and look, I, I shame Native people for not doing a, enough acknowledgement about how we were able to move Washington and Cleveland and, and, and so many of these you know, these high schools uh, away from the exploitation of Native people, you know, we, we owe a certain, uh, this, in fact, I take Black Lives Matter almost like, you know, the, just the latest chapter in a relationship that sometimes is, is misunderstood and not fully acknowledged by, by, by the everyday person. Well, again, of course you can't because they're the societal pressures and I'm not letting anybody off the hook here, please. Let's don't, don't get it twisted, as we say. We're not letting anybody off the hook. But the reality is we tend to, meaning the people of the sun, tend to be more sovereign. People in Europe tend to, 
this is not, again, this is not saying making a great grand statement. They tend to be more uh, followers. Well, but one uh, personal lead and gotta, they'll all follow. We've got to define a little bit. I mean, sovereignty is, is kind of this, one of those big lies, right? It, it's this idea that God somehow bestowed power on certain families. That's where the, the origins of the word. But, but when, but now as we look at sovereignty as a political statement or as a, you know, in, or along the lines of political science, we understand that there are different ways that people live. And Native people, we lived with the idea that sovereignty was vested in the individual, not in the monarch, not in exactly. the masses as a whole. Like a democracy, they, they claim that sovereignty is, is vested in the, the will of the people as a whole, but not as the will of individual people. And that's the difference between the way we so when you talk about people of color or, or people of the sun being the real expression is that we we keep that sovereignty vested in uh we're born with it we're not just born exactly. into it right exactly so and the whole symbolism i won't even begin to go into this whole christmas thing but let's <laughs> just let that alone for a minute but the whole idea is that you know you use symbols like they would say well we had a king over here the king didn't mean anything because he was sitting on the throne. The throne was the power. And then you had the council of women who decided what was really going to go on. Yeah, and we, we don't we, discuss we, things we, like that. We could do a whole show on transforming, you know, Jesus into a white boy uh, and the king of kings, but we're not going to do that today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, but I'm saying people get confused. They say, well, you know, Africans had monarchs. No, like oh, Africans had slavery. We had slavery and servitude both i disagree with but they're not the same right Shaw, and we, we're, we're, we conflate things we're, we're it's not conflatable we're, we're running short on time so i want to i want to spend a couple of minutes before we close here is you and i are embarking in a bit of a partnership on trying to do um a, a couple of series but one the series that we're that we've given name is called we are here uh we're we're negotiating with free speech television we have put together a not just a web page, but a platform called Energized for You, and that's uh, Energized spelled out the number four, the letter U. dot org. Uh, you, you can visit our our, our platform there. Uh, we're we're still you know uh, in, in many ways under construction with some of this stuff, but we we are engaging and preparing um, in this post COVID time to get for me to get back on the road. And this is something that you and I are going to do together. So I want people to understand that part of the reason I wanted to invite you on with me here on Resistance Radio was to introduce kind of what we're going forward with. And I don't know if you wanted to add a couple of thoughts on that as well. Well, again, we just talked about um, being sovereign. What does that mean? And we're going to engage people, which is, you, John, you know he does that anyway. We're going to engage people, but we want you to talk to us as we're not talking at you, but we're in conversation, not just in front of the cameras, not just in front of the microphones, but behind them. But to really say, what do you want to talk about? What we, do you want to speak on? We want to create but opportunities. We, we want to create opportunities facts. for people to per, to participate in the conversation, not just encourage people to have the conversation, conversation, but encourage them right. to join us. Yeah, absolutely. And it, but with factually, not with things that you know. Well. Well, there was nobody out west of the Mississippi. You know, come on, guys, stop it. They called it Terra Nullis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Void of stop humanity. It. And somebody sold you. We didn't kidnap you. Somebody sold you. It's like, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. I mean, we're having problems right now in Ghana over this kind of crazy behavior. Sure, sure. 
All right, folks, I want to remind people that you are listening to Resistance Radio here on WPFW Jazz and Justice Radio at 89.3 on your FM dial. I do uh, ask that you support the, the station, and you can do so by going to the pledge line 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. Um, Look, that pretty much wraps up. Uh, Shaw, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I look forward to having you join me again. And uh, we'll... I want to thank you, John. And I, I think your listeners should know of the great work you've done with this mascot debacles and that you've gotten a couple of wins. And we want to thank you and bring it out to everybody else to let them know how they can get some wins. Well, and we want to show people that you can make effect change if you uh, are just persistent. So. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Shah K. Bay, uh, my friend uh, and partner going forward, um, uh, thank you for joining me on the program. This is John Kane, uh, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.